Everything you need is already inside of you. The world would not be what it is without you. When we begin to create change within us, we begin to create change in the world around us. Your journey to becoming your best self as the whole person starts right now. Welcome to the Rise Up For You podcast. I am so excited to be here with you today. My name is Leanne DeSanto and I'll be your host. We are honored that you have joined us. This podcast is here to serve you and stand alongside your journey to becoming your best self. We bring in thought leaders, experts, and authors who not only inspire, but also give tangible strategies that you can implement right now. And today is no exception. Our expert today is Victoria Yompolsky. She is the president and founder of the Startup Station. It's a comprehensive resource for modeling and valuing early stage startups. She is one of the most intelligent people I've ever spoken to. She's amazing. You will love our conversation. So rise up for you. Enjoy this episode as we welcome Victoria Yampolsky. Welcome, Victoria, to the Rise Up For You podcast. We are so excited to have you on today. Thank you very much, Leanne. It's a pleasure for me to be here. It's very nice to meet you as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm excited for our conversation. So uh, we always like to start with our guests sharing with our audience what you do and uh, who you are, what you do, and your journey. Sure. Uh, so my name is Victoria Impolsky. I'm the founder and president of the Startup Station. Is what I do is I help founders of very young companies of early stage ventures to evaluate their financial feasibility so that they can get funded faster and so that they can create companies that can be successful. Wow, that is a big job. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a big problem because a lot of the times um, startup founders are very passionate people and they have a subject matter expertise in the area where they're creating their product or service. Right. But things like finance and marketing are business skills that they don't often possess and yet they're necessary building blocks that are absolutely critical to making any venture successful. Hmm. Yeah, I often wondered, you know, when, when people, um, you know, doing business plans and, and doing this kind of forecasting, like where do you even begin? I'm sure maybe there's some industry-specific things, but like where would you even begin with somebody? Does it depend on the industry or, or what? Well, share a little bit about that. Sure. Do you begin? Uh, do you mean where do I begin working with them, or where would it make sense for them to start thinking about the financials for their company? Maybe both. Yeah, both. So, um, in terms of when I can start working with somebody, it can be as early as an idea stage, and I can help them with formulating their idea, formulating a business case uh, around their idea, and then developing it into a business plan and then translating that business plan into a financial plan, which is the financial model. Mm. Now, in order to be ready to create a financial model, one needs to have a little bit better idea about their business than just an idea. They need to understand how they're going to make money. They need to have a, um, a pretty good vision uh, of the core features of their product or um, if it's a service then you know what kind of service offerings they have and they need to get a handle on the costs that are required uh, for them to get to where they need to be and so uh, in fact the process of creating a financial model helps founders understand their business a lot deeper and mm. correct some of the things in their vision that may result in their business being 
not financially feasible, and they are having major problems in terms of funding or scaling in the future, even before they start executing and before they start spending capital, because at those points, it will be a lot more expensive to make changes. Mm. And in some cases, it may mean that they will not succeed. Mm. And uh, what I want to also say that um, there's a lot of misunderstanding in the space uh, in terms of what, why do uh, early stage ventures need a financial model? Because there's no history, they're often pre-revenue, they all think it's guesswork. And uh, I guess my big mission is um, to drive global entrepreneurship by helping founders understand why they need it, how it can help them be more successful. And there are two ways in which a financial model is very important. Number one is that it is your map. It is not a predictive tool that will, like a crystal ball, tell you, you know, what your revenues are going to be like. Instead, it's a map that you can use to guide you as you're launching your business. And if you are expecting to get certain results and you're not getting them, this map gives you information a lot faster than you would have if you hadn't had any tools to help you out. And so it saves you time and it saves you money and prevents you from making mistakes and allows you to pivot faster. And so many businesses have to go through a lot of changes in the first few years of their existence. And if they don't have something to help them out, what will happen is many of them fail, which is what we see because more than 90% of startups fail, not Mm -hmm. just because they don't have a financial model. I mean, for obviously for many other reasons, but one of the uh, big ones is uh, uh, an ability to react to market feedback and get traction. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the second one is that the financial model, uh, you know, teaches you discipline. And uh, as a founder who doesn't really have much experience in finance, things may get very exciting when they have access to capital, and it may result in them spending money in an imprudent manner, which will again uh, result in them not having enough capital and um, decreasing their chances of success for no reason. Mm. That especially happened, uh, as, as you may have as you may guess, in the case of ICOs, which I referred to initial coin offerings, where people were raising way more money than they should have for ventures at very, very early stages with very little oversight from investors all around the world. And of course, what happened as a result is there was so much fraud in the space that now ICOs are not even a thing. Now we're moving towards um, security token offerings, which is the more... Um, a regulated form of raising money in that space, and that is similar to traditional startup financing that allows for more oversight and regulation. Wow, that's fantastic! Yeah, I love your, I love the concept of the map. You know, you need the map before you go into the woods, kind of conversation. Exactly, that's yeah. exactly. You know, I wrote a blog post about that. That you know, when you are in the forest, can you get, can you get out of the forest if you don't have a map? Yes, you can. Maybe you'll get lucky and you'll choose the path that will be the right path. But if you're in the wrong path and you don't have a map, it's going to take you a lot longer to discover that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's a yep. great point. And I love the discipline as well because, um, you know, discipline equals freedom, right? Discipline, just being able to have that discipline. And I think that's a word that a lot of people um, don't like, right? Because, you know, a lot of negative connotation, discipline feels restrictive and deprative and I can't do what I want and, you know, that type of thing, right? So the, you know, having the discipline, sometimes I even, I even, when I work with my clients, I switch it to, you know, instead of discipline, like, what are you devoted to? 
You devoted to this. You devoted to living this way. You devoted to having your business be successful so you can serve more people, you know, and, and they seem to like that word a little better than discipline sometimes. <laughs> well, they can be devoted to responsible uh, budgeting and spending right. instead of having discipline. But I think, you know, having a robust analytical framework for not just budgeting, uh, but also risk-taking, mm, which is an extremely important right. scale for uh, business owners because you constantly operate uh, in the, um, uncertainty. And you need to have a system to reduce this uncertainty to a number of quantifiable factors and to evaluate when to continue with the given path or stop and whether to take a certain risk or not to take mm. it. And so responsible risk-taking, I think, is at the core of successful entrepreneurship as well as well as the desire to take risks, because if you're free to take risks, then you're not going to be an entrepreneur either. Right, right. You know, I, I think about just the, the rise of, of the interest of entrepreneurship and um, raising capital with shows like Shark Tank and The Profit and these other shows now that are bringing it to the forefront for people that just didn't understand kind of that lingo, the languaging, like what does that even mean, you know? So now more and more entrepreneurs, more and more people are leaving corporate America or, you know, just business is just done differently, you know, now, especially with the newer generations and how they're wanting to, to work and workspace and the sharing economy. So there's so much kind of happening, which is really exciting. Are you seeing some differences in, in your business around all that? Sure. You know, when I was starting out, um, there was not much entrepreneurship activity in New York City. Now it's the hub. It's called the Silicon Alley, right, as opposed yeah. to Silicon Valley in uh, California. <laughs> uh, and um, there's just been a, a growth, you know, huge growth uh, in terms of entrepreneurial activity, not just on the two coasts, but, you know, all around the United States and all around the world. And um, I think, you know, people are uh, starting to realize that uh, being able to speak the language of investors, which is knowledge of accounting, knowledge of finance, allows them to uh, raise money faster, mm. right? And so that's a lot of the, for the first time entrepreneurs, that's one of the uh, obstacles that they need to overcome because oftentimes they have a great product, but because they can't talk intelligently about um, some of the metrics that will be important in evaluating the business is going to be successful or how much money investors will make prevents them from getting their venture off the ground. And that's especially uh, important for women entrepreneurs. Mm. As I don't know if you know, unfortunately, only 2% of women ventures get funding, regardless mm. of the fact that uh, those that do get funding are a lot more likely to be successful and achieve an exit. And uh, I think part of the reason is that women feel um, less confident when they talk about finance. They feel less confident when they talk with investors. And I personally, when I feel to all the listeners who are women entrepreneurs and encourage them to not be afraid uh, and uh, to learn finance and um, achieve their dreams. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's, let's talk about... Um about you in that realm because you're a woman entrepreneur, you have your business, you're doing, you know, so much to help, you know, everyone else. How did you get started in this um, industry of what you're doing now? Sure. So um, I uh, started in corporate America. I have a computer science degree and I had, um, after that, I got an MBA and I worked on Wall Street for a few years. And um, I'm a very creative person. I also have acting background. And working in the corporate environment wasn't fulfilling enough for me, even though it allowed me to learn uh, a lot of really fundamental skills that make it possible for me to do my work right now. 
but I wasn't happy. And so eventually I left to actually start the film company. And that was my first venture that did not work out. And um, I think as an entrepreneur, um, dealing with failure is hugely important. And it taught me resilience. It taught me persistence. It taught me uh, how to properly evaluate risks. And I certainly learned a lot. And so after that venture folded, I realized that um, the same problems I have seen in the film world where producers didn't really have business acumen and they cared so much about their creative endeavors and about their films, but not as much as they should have in terms of who's going to watch their films, how should they package their films, like Mm -hmm. where distribution channels will their films be distributed, Um, and which resulted in, you know, so many movies failing, right, for multiple reasons, but like that was a really big one. The same problem persisted in the startup world where you have, you know, extraordinarily talented people with brilliant, sometimes visionary ideas and no monetization strategy Mm. right and so i basically began consulting um first with the word of mouth uh and then i began teaching finance to entrepreneurs first to get clients and then i realized there was a lot of demand for people who you know couldn't necessarily afford to hire a consultant but still needed to learn finance so over time i built the curriculum for people with no finance experience that anybody can take and learn how to build a model and produce evaluation of their company as they're raising money and just to help them along this process so that they don't feel afraid uh, in the conversations with investors. And not just to get a fair evaluation of the company, but to also sign a deal, a financing deal that is fair. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of the times the term sheets that um, entrepreneurs get uh, may not be desirable and may actually make it very hard for them to raise uh, financing in the future. And if you don't know finance, if you don't know what to watch out for, how to negotiate certain clauses, you may get falsely excited that you got access to financing. And actually, it may be a detrimental thing for your company. Wow. That's lot of stuff to consider right because and, and I love that you yes. said especially in the film it world is. because you have the creative you know and, and this and this also lends to the conversation that it's really important to hire the right people at the beginning you know really important to bring on or bring on the coaches the consultants like you to help because I think a lot of us feel like oh we can just google it we can just google it we can find this out and try to do it on our own but like you said there's so many different things that can come up that you don't know about it because it's, it's new to you. So, um, so just talk a little bit about that. Like, you know, cause I think we're in this like do it yourself world and people are sometimes looking at the short game of, well, let me save money and not pay for someone to help me with this at the beginning. Let me try to do it on my own. But yet it sounds like it could really cost them in the long run to do that. Yes. I mean, um, of course, as an entrepreneur, you have to be very frugal before mm-hmm. you raise your first uh, round of financing, before you go to your friends and family, uh, especially a young entrepreneur that doesn't have a lot of financial means. Mm-hmm. So one of the most uh, frequent mistakes that um, entrepreneurs make is that they don't get their legal framework in order, especially mm-hmm. if they have multiple co-founders. And that's a huge mistake because everything is always great when things are good and in the beginning. 
but entrepreneurial journey is arduous and long, and there is a lot of challenges along the way, and people may have disagreements in terms of how long things are taken, the course the company is taking, or just may have personal hardships which will make it impossible for them to continue. And if you don't have the proper legal framework in place from the start that will set course for how those things should be dealt with, there will be a lot of problems in the future that may result in the company failing. In fact, interpersonal relationships are one of the key reasons why a lot of ventures fail mm. with the founders. And so team, you know, getting the first, um, you know, core team in place and um, not um, being afraid to set the correct legal framework is absolutely key. Now, in terms of hiring, you know, other people to help you along, uh, one of the other frequent mistakes that entrepreneurs make is that they um, assume that they know everything. <laughs> and uh, yes, of course, there are a lot of smart people, but I think there are very few people who can claim that they know everything. And I don't think there is anybody who truly knows everything, otherwise they're just delusional. Right. So um, it's very important to know what you don't know and then to get the help to fill those gaps. One of the great ways to do it is to create a board of advisors and to bring subject matter experts uh, on your team in the form of an advisor, which is a very inexpensive way to do it, but gives you the information and allows you to avoid some of the mistakes that you would make if you uh, don't have that knowledge. Mm, yeah, and I mean, then there are some core things that I believe every founder should know, you know, such as finance or marketing at some, you know, rudimentary level, which they can learn by taking certain classes like mine or, uh, uh, they, or you know, read books, but then eventually hiring somebody who will be responsible for that function. Uh, long term. Mm, yeah, yeah, I love that. Especially the legal framework. I think that's so important. You know, how do you even set yourself up, you know, or like you said, the partnerships, especially because everyone's friends at the beginning, <laughs> but then you just don't know what the future is going to hold. So just being super clear on that. I think is hugely, hugely important. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, you know, it's amazing that everybody talks about it. And then yet every single new entrepreneur that I talk about and then ask them, do you have your agreement signed with your co-founders? And I say, no, we're, you know, we're trust each other. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> like, okay. and then three months later, they're having problems with trust because things did not go the way that they planned. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's very unfortunate. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. So have the legal framework in place, um, which is which is part of the map, I guess. Right. When you talk about the map of the beginning, it's like having those having the company set up right, the partnership agreement set up right. Um, moving, you know, through all those type of like kind of boring things as everybody wants to talk about the creative and Ooh, let's go out and serve people. Right. But it's like having all that in place is so important. So is that um, is that something that you your company does all that for people? Well, my company is not a legal company. Uh, we, I provide more help around um, developing your strategy and oh, translating right. that strategy into a financial model and helping founders uh, value their company as they go through um, multiple rounds of financing. Mm. And it starts at the very early stage when it's so hard to create financials when there's no financial history. Because right. usually, you know, for companies that have already been in business, there, there is financial history, and then the question is, would we follow the trend or would we not follow the trend, and at what growth rate? And that's a much easier question to answer because there is already a basis line, right? There is mm -hmm. already a baseline. When there is no baseline, 
then what you really need to do is to understand your strategy very deeply and to really think about the underlying business drivers and then do a lot of research in terms of what is common for ventures in your industry at that point and how your strategy changes any of the assumptions and to model that and see what the results are. And so the way how uh, you produce financials for an early stage venture is a lot more granular. You need to go to a lot more level of detail in order to justify the numbers, right, than right. for a company with financial history. And that's, by the way, why a lot of investors don't look at um, our pre-revenue financials because very few people can do it correctly. And when they just take numbers from the sky, right. it actually hurts them because it shows that they haven't done their homework and they don't really understand what it takes to make those numbers work, uh, not just on the cost side, but even on the strategy side. And it actually puts them in that um, unfavorable position when they're raising money. Yeah, yeah, I could totally see where that would that would just fall apart for people and they think they're... But the legal, you know, I do connect in terms of, uh, you know, the resources that founders need. I certainly have a framework of uh, various people that I've worked with over the years that I can refer people to depending on what their needs are, not just legal, but it could be software development, it could be PR, it could be, uh, you know, accounting, it could be, um, you know, anything. Right, right. Um, because right. a startup needs uh, at various stages a lot of help, and I also uh, have some knowledge in terms of companies expanding to other countries as well as foreign companies coming into uh, the States as well. Terrific. That's great. Well, that, that sounds like super comprehensive super supportive and helpful because it's you can't compartmentalize those things it's it's all part of that big picture right it's all pieces of the pie when you're looking at going out and trying to get that pre-revenue and and you, know, you have this fantastic idea but okay what's all the business strategy behind it so absolutely and then i you know i I've, uh, i write blogs on a weekly basis and one of the blogs that i've written was you know how do you know if your idea is viable you know how much mm. research do you need to do before you decide to pursue it, because oftentimes it seems like something is a good idea, but mm. it doesn't necessarily mean that it should be a startup or a business <laughs> built around it. Right. And so there needs to be a lot of analysis before, you know, somebody jumps and starts forming, you know, companies and spending money on a lawyer, et cetera. First, you know, there needs to be an evaluation process where you do market research and you figure out, is there a demand for my idea? Is the problem really big enough to justify creating a business out of it? And then looking at the competitive solutions and really evaluating, is my solution really different, mm. different enough? And in a world where, you know, we're all faced with so many remarkable products, in order for any new product to be successful, it really needs to be, you know, a thousand or 10,000 times more remarkable than uh, everything on the market. Right. And so a lot of the founders, you know, like other, there's just so many mistakes, I guess, that everybody just keeps making because of inexperience. And actually, you know, what I'm trying to do is to create this one-stop resource where at least all the finance-related issues will be uh, in one place and everybody who wants to learn about startup-related uh, financial issues can come and learn. You know, first, you know, there's some free materials so we take classes so we get, you know, custom help. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one of the uh, most common, you know, common mistakes as well is that people do not do enough research and they get very excited about the idea and the rush to implementation. Because of course it is very exciting to start implementing something like you said, not as exciting to do research, not as exciting yeah. to talk to the lawyer, you know, like not that exciting to budget for things and try to figure out how my, I know how much things cost. But yet guess what what's gonna make you successful long term? Right. It's going to be thorough. 
right? And not being afraid of uh, the work that is not as exciting as uh, creativity. Of creativity, of course, is the driver, but there are a lot of things that are not as glamorous about entrepreneurship sure. that um, sure. people uh, don't necessarily talk about. And actually, stress is, uh, uh, in this constant uncertainty, is certainly a big part of it. And people definitely need to be ready for uh, a lot of stress. exactly exactly but like you said the map will eliminate some of that because they'll have a they'll have a really great plan in place first and and i think that that's the bottom line to so many things right in this world that marketing and and social media like it's just changing so fast and and you don't even have to have the best product you know some people are selling crappy products you know and it's but it's it's all you know there's so many opportunities that just weren't there in the past so I think yes, that's, absolutely agree. Yeah. I mean, legal framework, you know, you're a good team, you know, really spending time to make sure you have people that are aligned with you in terms of your long-term vision and how you execute in place and uh, having a plan. I mean, that will certainly reduce some of the stress. And yeah. yet, uh, I think it's also about putting, uh, I guess, strategies with how you deal with um, unexpected, right? Yeah. That yeah. will help you deal with that. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, I like what you said, too, about you know, a lot of people, what I've seen is, is, you know, they'll outsource a lot of things, but you as the owner need to know a little bit about that stuff. You know, sometimes you feel like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to outsource, which is great. Outsource it to the professionals. But yet I've seen and heard about, you know, people losing money or people embezzlement or, you know, just all these things that can happen because you didn't know at least enough to see the warning signs that something's not right here, like something's going on or the communication's not right, you know? So like you said, knowing enough and then outsourcing is, I think it was a really great, a great um, strategy. Yes, I absolutely agree. And actually um, after startups, my bigger ambition is to uh, develop a similar uh, curriculum for small businesses because a lot of small businesses, uh, when they get results from their bookkeepers or accountants, they are more like, oh, did I make money this year? Or if we didn't make enough money, let's do better this year. If we made money, let's repeat this result. Right. But they don't really understand why that happened mm. and how to use the information that the financials give them in order to grow their business and to address the underlying issues. Uh, and that's exactly, you know, the, the, what you've just said, that, you know, you can get the, you don't have the minimum required education and knowledge in order to at least have an intelligent conversation with the finance profession, ask the right questions. And of course, at the extreme, it's fraud, but we don't need to, need to go to the extreme to see the detrimental effects because if your business is struggling, but you're not going to see, you're not going to understand why right. it's going to continue struggling. Absolutely. Absolutely. So definitely get the education, even on the things, you, you know, that aren't as glamorous and at least know enough going in. And then that way too, you can, you know, be intelligent with who you hire, who you bring on your team, all of that as well. So that was so, so helpful. Um, I wanted to ask you too a little bit about the TV show. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. So uh, in July, I filmed a TV show in Montreal, which I'm very excited about. It's called The Social Movement, and it's going to come out on uh, Amazon Video next year. And uh, it's one of those uh, competition shows similar to Shark Tank. Where four teams of top business leaders gathered to solve four social impact issues, and the issues were in the area of healthcare, energy, um, education, and environmental disaster relief. Wow. 
And the amazing thing, so my role was that I've structured the show from the business perspective where I've designed which problems were going to be solved on the show, how a deliverable was going to be look, you know, how a deliverable is going to look and how they're going to be judged. And I helped them ideate because a lot of what they had to do is what I do with my clients and with the people that I teach every day. Mm. Uh, But the amazing thing for me was that even when we designed this really, really hard problems, and I'll give you an example, one of the problems was how do you stop a hurricane from making a landfall? And when I heard that problem um, uh, first, when I've come up with this problem in conversations with the guy who runs a nonprofit that deals with this after really, my first reaction was, well, that's, we can't give somebody a problem that is just not solvable, right? That's a fantastical. And then uh, I've decided personally to spend uh, 30 minutes of brainstorming with a friend of mine who's also very smart, and we were able to come up with a solution, at least uh, um, a direction in which we would take uh, our research in. And after that, I felt comfortable that no matter, you know, how hard the problem is, let's see what happens. Because when you gather 10 to 12 people that are very smart from various uh, walks of life, and you remove the obstacle of you know, it's not possible to solve it. You tell them solve it and you have two days to do it. Then, uh, you know, something remarkable can happen. And that's what happened. They did come up with a solution, a very expensive one, of course, but much cheaper than all the expenses that countries would incur if, you know, category five hurricane actually hits. And the other solution that I'm, you know, there's two solutions I'm personally also very excited about. One deals with, how do you eliminate um, cardiac arrest as being the number one killer in the world? And I'm actually in talks to help roll that solution out. And then the second one is how do you achieve 100% literacy rate among children? And of course, that solution is more for developing countries, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, even for the United States, yeah. it's still a problem still in a certain problem. areas. And so when you see like these global issues and you... Uh, um, I mean, it's just amazing to see human creativity at work. And for me, it's so inspiring to be part of something uh, that can change the world, which is why I love my job to begin with, that I'm a part of, you know, helping uh, ventures, you know, be born and succeed. But then now, as with this TV show, there can even be greater impact that can help a lot of people. Wow, I cannot wait. So that is coming out next year? That is coming out in uh, summer 2020, so that now all the you know each of the issues is represented by a nonprofit, and so the nonprofits have time to start executing those plans, so we can have an impact statement of what has happened, what's happened in the past 12 oh, months. Oh, that's terrific! But um, um, I don't know if you want to cut that part out, uh, but I can give information about the different nonprofits and how to support them. And if somebody wants to get involved in uh, uh, helping solve those issues, I can provide that information as well. Oh, okay. Why don't we do that? What I'll do is I'll put that in the show notes, and that way all that information. Yeah, I can send you. Because, I mean, it's just such yeah. a wonderful. Um, a beautiful. Um, uh, I would say it's, it's just a great thing to uh, see, you know, people put their ambition and put their egos aside mm-hmm. and work together and try to do something for the greater good yeah. and, and, for and humanity. What, and what you said too, just about getting curious, right? Asking the question, because sometimes, what do you mean? How do you stop hurricanes? Like that can feel so impossible. And so like, you don't even want to go there, but like you said, go deeper, ask the questions, get curious. And then 
work together. And you know what? There might be some solutions out there that just we just haven't thought about that yet. You know, and that's how great ideas are born. Just being open to that and curious. I think that's fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, because if you don't ask the question, you don't then go through a thought exercise right. of what it would take to solve it. And that was my original idea that, you know, I didn't know what's going to come out of this, but I knew that at least, if, you know, very, very smart people are going to go through the thought exercise and come up with their solution that we can then evaluate whether right. it's financial feasible and whether or not it's executable and maybe the next you know, when it's actually put into practice, it will evolve. That's fine. But at least there is a path. Right. Because before that, there's no path. Right. right? No, exactly. Like nobody has, exactly. right? Nobody has come up with a solution that can address this. Right, right. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on that. So we'll definitely put information in the show notes about the TV show. And we'll support you, Thank you. in 2020 when that comes out. That's fabulous. Um, so yeah, before, I'm very excited about that. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm awesome. excited to see, like, I would like to see a lot of impact happen. I'm working with all the teams now in executing oh, uh, nice. their, uh, you know, their solutions. Uh, yeah. I'm starting to work more with the heart, with the cardiac arrest team, but I want to work with all of them, depending on what they want to do. Nice. And if they can all make impact, I mean, that would be the best reward for me yeah. in being involved. Absolutely. Wow, that's fantastic. Before we wrap up, I do want to ask you a couple questions that we ask all our guests. So the first sure. one is, uh, what book really affected you, or what book would you recommend to our audience that you just really loved and got a lot out of? Sure. So um, I'm a very uh, avid reader, so I've read a lot of books over the years. So I don't have a favorite book, but I do have a book um, that I'm reading right now uh, that expands my mind. And that book is called The Elegant Universe, and it's uh, written by Brian Greene. And that's a great, it's a book about physics. Mm. Uh, and it's a book about how does the universe work? Because if you think about it, the reason why it's called The Elegant Universe is that because if things just like were a little bit off, then it wouldn't have, the universe, the way that we know it wouldn't have happened. And that's mm. why that it's elegant. It talks about the theory of relativity. And I'm a big admirer of Einstein and how he could have come up with this deep understanding of how the universe works without any experiments that he just thought about it, right. just like we've thought about the hurricanes. But of <laughs> course, he thought about things on a deeper scale and grander scale. And he just like understood how things work. And then uh, it talks about the, another theory which um, unifies um, the theory you know, of micro things, which is quantum mechanics and the theory of you know, big bodies, which is theory of relativity, which is a string theory. Mm. And so um, the book does not require anybody to know any math. No, that's good. It's <laughs> more conceptual. Yeah. And uh, it's just when you read something like this, regardless of your field, I, because it makes you think, I believe that it makes you better in whatever you do because it exercises your brain and exercises your creativity. And so I always recommend books that are actually outside of the area of expertise to just expand your mind and learn something really, really exciting and um, continue fueling your curiosity, whatever mm -hmm. that may be. For me, you know, I'm passionate about the universe. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> that's beautiful. I'll have to get that book. I do not have that one, so fantastic. <laughs> um, okay, so how about... I hope it's not too geeky. I do have a computer no. science degree. <laughs> <laughs> I like geeky books. <laughs> no, that's great. No, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I really, really appreciate that. So tell me about a favorite quote or a quote that you live by that you just love. So there is a favorite quote by a woman that I deeply admire, Eleanor Roosevelt. Mm, yes. 
this. Uh, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Mm, and I love that because, uh, especially for somebody who's involved with entrepreneurs and who, uh, you know, I, and I'm an entrepreneur as well, I think for me, believing in uh, the beauty of my dreams definitely helps me continue. Nice, beautiful. I love Eleanor Roosevelt. Fantastic. Okay, so if you could leave the world with one message, like one golden nugget, and I think you've mentioned so many golden nuggets already, but one, <laughs> one little golden nugget, what would that be? Um, I would say um, follow your passion and don't be afraid of failure because that will allow you to truly realize your full potential. Mm, so you cut out a little bit when you said that. Can you say that again? Sure. I said um, follow your passion, passion and don't be afraid of failure because that will help you realize your full potential. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. Failure is just in the mix. It's just part of the, part of the equation sometimes, but it's all right. lessons learned. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay, so where can we find you, support you? Where can our audience um, get more information? Sure. Um, so the website of my company is www.thestartupstation.com. Um, and then uh, you can sign up to a newsletter so that you'll be getting uh, weekly new content that I release every week on various uh, issues about financing startups or modeling startups, etc. Or you can also go to resources and there is a YouTube channel if you prefer to watch videos uh, nice. as opposed to reading blogs. Uh, if you want to get information about classes, you click on courses, and then you will um, read about various, uh, you know, courses and subjects that I teach. And I teach um, accounting, financial modeling, valuation, and startup financing. So basically wow. everything that an entrepreneur needs to know uh, as they are fundraising, as they're launching their business for the first time. Okay, cool. So startupstation.com. Excellent. Thank you so much. So one last question as we uh, conclude here. So you know our company is called Rise Up For You. So when you hear that, that phrase, Rise Up For You, what does it mean to you? So for me, it means that um, I would like to inspire people to um, pursue their dreams, to create ventures that are financially feasible, mm -hmm. to recognize uh, their strengths and weaknesses and uh, to address them and to um, be brave enough to change the world. Mm, beautiful. Love that. Well, thank you so much, Victoria. It was just so um, enlightening and wonderful to have this conversation with you today. And, and we so appreciate you standing alongside of us and helping our audience you know, live their best life. And this, is, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today on the Rise Up For You podcast series. We're here to serve you and inspire you to become your best self so that you can live a life that you are proud of. If you haven't already, head over to our website, riseupforyou.com, and explore through all that we have to offer. Don't forget to subscribe while you're there for exclusive materials sent to you weekly, and also subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and any other major podcast channel. Join us for our next episode, but until we meet again, rise up for you, be better today than yesterday, and prepare for a greater you tomorrow.